You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Romillo, credential reporter and the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. On Friday night, the Heat were hosting the Utah Jazz. Utah, the team with the best record in the league, 26-6, and the only team with single-digit losses in the NBA. But Miami had won four straight and were reasonably healthy for the first time all season. On Friday, they were still without Avery Bradley, of course, but they were also without Tyler Hero, missing his third straight game after suffering a hip injury against the Lakers. There were concerns pregame that Bam Adebayo might sit out the game, but he was back in the starting lineup for a much-anticipated matchup versus Rudy Gobert, one of the best defensive players in the league. What followed, however, was nothing short of the best game of the season for Miami. Right away, the Heat were sharing the ball just as they did throughout the playoffs. And for most of last season, the Jazz answered back time and again, and while there were lapses here and there from both teams, it was a really close game that saw a lot of lead changes Big responses from both teams, but ultimately Miami just played a better, more complete game. They made the most out of big performances from Jimmy Butler, who led all scorers with 33 points, and Goran Dragic, who chipped in 26 points on the night. Just a fantastic game from him overall, making some really big plays. Utah defense is one of the best in the league, and the Heat kept creating easy looks. They were driving to the rim, making the extra pass. And perhaps most importantly to me, they were hitting wide open shots. This was a difference. Now you have to take a deep dive into exactly how wide open some of those shots were and how consistent Miami was able to at least hit them for one night. But overall, I mean, just the numbers, the sheer numbers out of the game reflect that they were able to connect on a much higher level. They shot a blistering 51% from the field and 47%, 14 of 30 from three-point range. That was... Probably a little bit of a result of Utah's overall defense. They do limit overall looks. They don't play exactly a fast pace. They shoot a lot of threes, however. Donovan Mitchell is a big shooter. Bogdan Bonatovic, Mike Conley Jr., even Royce O'Neal is a solid three-point shooter. Joe Ingles, of course. They've got a lot of shooting over there. So it's they also try to limit three-point shots from other teams. But Miami was able to you know, take less shots than they generally do and hit a a much more great percentage of them. So that was a fantastic showing from them. Defensively, for Miami at least, the story was the same. They had multiple efforts. Their rotations were sharp all night. Rarely was there a play when they didn't at least challenge Utah's shooter. And while maybe Duncan Robinson or Goran Dragic were able to let an initial ball handler slip past him in the perimeter, somebody was always there to meet him. I think no greater example of that then towards the end of the game, when Utah was mounting their comeback, Miami had a, a nice lead, about seven or eight points in the last couple and a half minutes of the game. Then Utah respan- responded with a 7-0 run. Miami answered back. They hit a shot, but they still needed some defensive stops. And Mike Conley, I'm sorry. Yeah, Mike Conley Jr. was being guarded. Oh, Donovan Mitchell. Excuse me. Donovan Mitchell, you know, was being guarded by Duncan Robinson. Probably not an ideal matchup. He puts the ball down. Gets past Robinson, just a step slower, of course. It's Duncan Robinson and Donovan Mitchell is one of the quickest players in the league. But who was there to meet him? Goran Dragic, at the paint, accepting the challenge, taking the charge. That was such a fantastic play. And that was indicative to me of that, that kind of defensive effort that Miami was able to put up all night. Just guys rotating all the time. It didn't seem like they were, they were you know, five on a string. I know that's somewhat cliche. 
but it felt like that was the example that they were setting yesterday because everything was so cohesively done. There was rarely an opportunity there for a Utah player to have an unimpeded look at the rim. And look, Mitchell, to his credit, again, quick, explosive, athletic, reminds me so much of a younger Dwayne Wade, too. He you know, he can get past almost any defender in the league one-on-one. And so there were always going to be wide open lamps for him. He, he got past Jimmy, who was a great defender. He got past Bam. You know, it happens. And even then, if you, you, you know, if you don't double on Donovan Mitchell, or if you do du- double on Donovan Mitchell, excuse me, that's going to leave a wide open look, probably a lob for Rudy Gobert at seven foot four. So, I mean, this is, it's difficult to match up with a guy like that. So there, there's so many different impacts that a player like that can have. But yet yeah, Miami, Still able to challenge him. He shot only 11 of 26 from the field for 30 points. Overall, the Jazz shot 42.6% and only 32.6% from three-point range. So that was the difference in the game is that despite having the great shooting on that roster, they were able to really challenge some of their top shooters. Jordan Clarkson, perhaps the best candidate for six-man of the year, struggled from the field. Three of 12 overall, kept shooting them. Even even late in the game, and then eventually Quinn Snyder recognized that he was shooting them out of the game and that he wasn't really impactful at all, took him out. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich had a solid game, 5 of 11, but who cares? Who cares? Seriously, the Jazz are a great team. We'll match up with them again in the NBA Finals, but right now the big story is just the ability for Miami to pull away with a 124-116 to victory over the Jazz. For the night, at least, Miami is currently fourth in the Eastern Conference standings, that's that's how close everything is on a night-to-night basis here in the league. Miami started off the game, I think, ninth, and then they finished it at fourth after that big win because there were some key losses there from uh, the Pacers and others. So Miami climbs their rankings. It doesn't mean anything necessarily as far as the standings are concerned, although these games, as they continue to mount, will always be impactful, will always help Miami's chances of securing a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference. Overall, though, the feeling is that this was a huge conference booster. Now, I'll talk a little bit about whether or not they're legitimate contenders later in the game, and there are still some glaring issues, notably Kelly Olenek. But overall, this game reassured Heat Nation that this was a very, very good team. I've been I've been pretty consistent in saying that I did not have much concerns about this team. Like, look, it's it's hard to justify losing big leads to the Clippers despite, you know, not having four starters or, or blowing a game against the Warriors and on and on and on. We've seen lots of bad games from this team. Now, were they missing key players? Yeah, more than likely. That's just been the case all season long. But they still had bad showings. Overall, though, I think you look at this roster, you look at the composure, you look at the composition of the roster, and you look at everybody that's on there, the focus that they have. I This is what I wanted to see. When the, the season started, there was one thing they consistently told us as media, as fans, that they were ready to accept the challenge, that they wanted to prove that last season wasn't a fluke. They were pissed off about the fluke talk. They wanted to build on the success that they had last season. And then because of injury, then because of health and safety protocols, because of the strangeness and uniqueness of this season, of course, they wound up falling mostly flat. But over the last four games, they've shown something. And then on Friday night, they cemented it all. This was, without a doubt, the best game of the season. So much to break down here as far as individual performances. Defending the three-point line was fantastic. Their fourth-quarter execution, indicative to me, again, of the kind of team that they were for most of last year, when they just... 
always found a way. They were never out of a situation. They had a big stop defensively, a big shot fall from either Goran Dragic or Jimmy or somebody along those lines, just always able to get a key contribution at a key moment of the game in order to swing the tide in their favor. Jimmy continues to shoot the ball very well. Look, he was at least attempting the three-point shot. If this is a new trend for him, I'm all for it. At least he keeps the teams honest. Like, I know he's just kind of feeling his way out. He had a, the stroke going against the Raptors, didn't have it against the Jazz when he shot 0 for 3 from three-point range. But at least it's a, a an option. He's not looking to pass off the ball. I, I still want him to shoot a ball. Like, as much as he tells guys like Duncan and everybody else, shoot the damn ball, well, he needs to shoot it as well because at least – if those shots not falling, you never know. Maybe it does fall, and then he starts to get a little bit more confident in that shot going forward. I want to see more of this from him. He still had a phenomenal game. 33 points, 12 of 22 overall from the field. 9 of 11 from free throw line. That free throw battle between him and Donovan Mitchell was ridiculous. Like, Mitchell gets a very, very friendly whistle, although he wound up only taking 8 free throws in total. I thought a lot of those calls were very, very ticky-tack. Butler... You know, I can't complain too much about Mitchell's foul calls because, let's be honest, Jimmy does work the refs off very, very well, and he does get that friendly whistle on more than one occasion. 11 free throws from him. Goran Dragic, also six trips to the free throw line, 26 points from him. Just a fantastic overall game. Just incredible efforts from him. Defensively, he did a really solid job on Clarkson. And he also did a really good job on the perimeter against guys like Conley and Mitchell. Always contesting, always putting up multiple efforts incredible win for the team just I, I can't say enough like Duncan had some really good defensive moments there even though that one play I described earlier kind of seemed like he was picked on a little bit but uh, overall I'd say he was at, at making great efforts and he's shown incredible improvements as a defender maybe the numbers don't necessarily bear it out I, I always feel and I think you'll talk to anybody who understands statistics at all the defensive metrics are very difficult to gauge an overall player's impact. Yeah, you can measure, you know, defensive box plus minus, or, or you know, whether or not they're going to limit a, a, a opponent's field goal percentage. Eye test doesn't tell the whole story either. But if you do watch the game and you do see what Duncan's able to do, I, I think he's able to make a greater impact defensively than he has been throughout the course of the season. This is great to see from him because, I mean, if he's not defending well, if he's not playing well, if he's not shooting well, then he's not making much of an impact but at least now you don't feel so uncomfortable leaving him out there in fourth quarter situations which is the case he was out there for a lot of the fourth quarter when it was essential to get a three-point shot on occasion or even you don't want to be victimized defensively you can trust that Duncan is going to make the right play a guy who continues to get the the call for fourth quarter minutes Andre Iguodala uh, a lot like what we saw in the playoffs in particular where this is this is the closing lineup Goran Dragic, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Andre Iguodala Maybe you go with Duncan or Kelly Olenek or Kendrick Nunn. Either one of those is the, the fifth guy out there. It's kind of on a rotation basis, but Iguodala is part of that lineup. It's probably going to be Hero moving forward, but Hero, again, unavailable on Friday night. So Iguodala had a good shooting game against the Raptors, 2 of 5 overall from the field, all from three-point range against the, the Jazz, eight points. Yeah, the, you live and die with that three-point shot. There's nothing else you can do about it. You hope he's in a, a positive swing there where he's going to be able to make these shots consistently. But at his age, I don't know that you can necessarily rely on that as heavily as you'd like to. But, you know, this is this all feels like nitpicking. To me, just enjoy the game. This was a really fantastic win. Their fifth straight. That's all you can say about it. It was against a really quality opponent. 
You can say that you beat up on the Kings, that you beat up on a quote-unquote depleted Lakers team, but against a Jazz team that was healthy, intact, and has been beating up the league offensively and defensively, Miami put forth their best effort of the season, and it's fantastic to show. I think they've established themselves as one of the best teams in the league, despite what their record says. I'll talk about their legitimacy as contenders later on in the show, but I do also want to talk about Kelly Olynyk because there's a little bit of a problem there despite what uh, the numbers might show, and I'll talk about that next on the number one Heat podcast for the latest news, rumors, and analysis. Now, one thing isn't a problem for sure. It's bet online because that's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and bet online even covers awards and TV shows and reality TV. If you want to bet on any of your favorite programs, bet online is the place for you. Real-time updated odds, props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts, and make sure you use the promo code LOCKEDON so you get that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Get more of the sports news you need in less time. With our new Locked On Today podcast, Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. We've got a butter situation on our hands here. As John Crotty would undoubtedly say, it's a little slippery. It's because it's Kelly Olynyk. I mean, what can you say about Kelly, right? The numbers are showing that somehow Miami has found a way to play well with Kelly in the lineup. That's undoubtedly the case. They're winning a lot. He does provide some, just a variation of what other options you have there. Precious Achua didn't get any playing time on Friday night, and I'm not sure if he's in the doghouse. I'm not sure if there's something that Spo hasn't seen or hasn't seen in game situations or maybe has seen in practice, but... He didn't get any playing time. Mo Harkless, I, I mean, he's available. He's just not playing. It's just a very weird situation there. And they keep going with Kelly Olenek. And he, he's just – Olenek has provided some solid defense on occasion. He's not rebounding particularly well. Five rebounds overall. And, yes, there's that playmaking and the threat of shooting. Two of four from three-point range against the Jazz. But there are just moments there where Heat fans just want to see him – off the floor and away from the team. And I can't I can't understand it. Like I look, there are problems there. I get it. Olinick is not a perfect player. There's the inconsistency, there's that shot. Sometimes it just doesn't fall. Sometimes you wonder why the hell he's taking it. And I perhaps I'm one of the last few people on Kelly Olinick. I don't even know what it would be. Not skate park. It wouldn't even be island, right? Kelly Olinick skate park. And it's it's tough to to stay there and hold any kind of real estate because he does make some occasionally head-scratching plays, uh, not just defensively, but offensively. Like that pull-up jumper, he sees himself as a much better shooter, I think, than he might actually be in game situations. And we've seen that he's capable of making those shots. I just don't know that he's ever been consistent enough with it, either in practice or in game situations, where you want to be consistently taking that shot. It's just, it's not in your bag, Kelly. Just leave it alone. You're a good spot-up shooter, you can on occasion pull up from three-point range. I wouldn't want to do that 
on a fast break opportunity in a close game against the best team in the NBA. Like, that's just not the right time for it. And that was, I mean, I couldn't, what kind of response do you have to that sort of thing? I just, I was like holding my head in my hands, wondering why. Like, I like Kelly. He's a, he's a good presence in the locker room, good person to talk to. And overall, there are just moments there where I, I just don't know what to make of his performance. And and look, there are little things that he does, the playmaking, the defense, I think are much better than people make it out to be. Like people talk about Kelly like he is a sieve defensively, like he's just giving up bucket after bucket. And I don't think that's the case. I think he moves his feet fairly well as a seven-footer. He's been playing a lot of minutes at the five lately to add a different wrinkle in Miami's rotation, and it's been working. Like, you know, he provides some size. He's been challenging guys like Gobert and others. He's holding his own. What do you want? I mean, Gobert only had 15 points. Maybe he's not exactly a top-end scorer for the Jazz. He doesn't need to be, but it's not like he was getting the kind of wide-open looks. He went 7-7 from the line. That's an aberration, although he's shooting much better from the line this season. 7-7, you know, that's that's not going to happen consistently for him. But Olenek was... Part of the reason why he didn't get a lot of easy looks, he was de- you know, denying the 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 easy lob. He was trying to break up passes. He's a big body. It's like he remembered all of a sudden that he's actually a seven footer, and he played that way. Now, yes, there are moments there where he's going to make those bad plays, where he's going to make a, a take a bad shot that leave you wondering what exactly he's he's out there for, whether or not he's an NBA player. Although I think that's ridiculous talk. I know why people think this way. He, he is much better than he actually is. But my point overall, though, is you look at what this roster is capable of. You look at what a team this team can do, maybe not because of Kelly, but rather in spite of him, and you have to say to yourself that they're probably a trade away. I don't like thinking of it in those terms because as I've gotten older, as I've covered this team more and more over the last few years, it's hard for me to justify trades. I've you know, I've I've been pretty consistent about that, even when talking about players like James Harden or other superstars that are Miami's radar. Giving up a player, you know, is is difficult for me to just wrap my mind around. I know a lot of players, a lot of fans, excuse me, want to trade this guy for that guy, and you know, plug in some numbers in the trade machine. Kelly is a guy that I've enjoyed talking to over the years in Miami, and I feel like it, it would not. It's hard to, to say that he he would uh, he needs to be traded. There does need to be an addition, and I don't I don't know if it means trading Kelly because honestly I don't know that he has a lot of value around the league other than as an expiring contract. Would this team benefit from adding a Thad Young? Absolutely, that's the guy you want. You want I don't I don't think PJ Tucker is an option, and at least I don't. I don't think he's capable of providing the same kind of impact a lot of people want him to or believe he can. You need to find somebody else. Look, we didn't think Jay Crowder was that guy. Jay Crowder was a throw-in for the Andre Iguodala trade. The point was to get Iguodala because his veteran presence, his versatility defensively, and his uh, 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 you know occasional ability to hit the three-point shot was going to be the difference for this team. That Crowder came in there and was incendiary from three-point range was not an expected result. That was not that was a benefit that nobody saw coming. And he wound up being the difference maker. And so you have to find a way to strike gold again. To find another player that might be buried on the roster. I'm I'm of the mindset now that it might be a Harrison Barnes. I know that some other people have talked about the Barnes possibility. I'm liking it more and more just because I think he's got championship experience. He's smart. He knows how to make the play. He's versatile. There's 
there's a knock on him as being quote unquote the other guy in Golden State, but that's not his fault. Like he's a solid player. He's smart. He's interesting. He's a good player. He's getting paid a whole heck of a lot of money. Again, not his fault. You can't begrudge a guy for getting paid a lot of money. This is the the Tyler Johnson situation all over again. He got paid a lot of money, and he's going to collect it. Now, can he live up to those expectations? No. Is that his fault? Absolutely not. He's part of a team. He can only do so much. Like This is you know similar to the conversation around Bam. Bam's not going to score 30 points a night. Why? Because he has to play alongside Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic and Tyler Hero. So that's not his... That's not what you expect from a guy like Bam. It's for him to be able to fill the box score in many ways. He had 11 rebounds. He had seven assists. He also had 19 points. Is that great numbers? Is that gaudy production? Absolutely not. And still fantastic. A great overall game from him. And I think similarly, Harrison Barnes can do a lot of those same things where he winds up providing some of that range as a shooter, a versatile body defensively. There's the cohesion and an understanding alongside Andre Iguodala, who I'm sure has probably been asked some questions from the Heat front office. Now, it's the situation with Barnes as a salary where you're undoubtedly going to have to give up a player like Olenek. You might even have to give up a player like Iguodala, too. So I I, I don't see it as a realistic one. But that's what I'm talking about, though. The, the, this is The win shows that Miami needs to be just a little bit better so that they can be firmly in place as a legitimate title contender. Something I'll talk about in the next segment. So let's just let's break there. Because I, I feel like this is a good segue, whether or not Miami is a legitimate contender. So I'll talk about that here on Locked on Heat. February's Black History Month. And the Lockdown Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Lockdown Presents More Than a Game. This week, we have two conversations from you to wrap up the month. First, a discussion on protests and sports across leagues. Then tune in for a discussion on the importance of black history in sports, what's been achieved, and the important work left to be done. All in discussion on the Lockdown Presents podcast feed. Subscribe on the radio.com app or wherever you get podcasts. Just as a side there. I know I've been kind of criticized for it because of, well, that's just my nature is to talk about things away from the court, you know, to look at the game in a different light. And the fact that our network is talking about these greater issues, things tangentially related to basketball, I'm just, I'm proud of that effort because I feel like that's just, to me, it's one of the more interesting aspects of sport. You know, you can, you can look at statistics, you can break down film. You can you know spend hours on the trade machine. That stuff to me, not quite as interesting as these bigger issues, these bigger stories, like what sports represents, the great moments that define our history as a people that love sport. And, and so I just I just wanted to wax poetic about it because I, I thought it was a, a great effort. I think it's fantastic that the show is ta- tackling some of those issues, and I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this network. So, um. But you know what else that we should be proud of? This team. How about that for a segue, huh? <laughs> Miami is a really good team. And again, I keep I keep I can't help but feel like I'm patting myself on the back every time I say this, but this was my feeling about this team all along. And yes, we had some dark moments there. We had some you know, it was it was a weird time period between, you know, falling short of the James Harden trade, then all of a sudden Bradley Beal and that meme of him holding his head and 
it just seems like everything is building and building and then collapsing, building and building and then collapsing again. Like it was hard and we were right there. We were this close to getting one of the best scores in the league, one of the best scores in NBA history and it didn't happen. Similarly with Bradley Beal, who's leading the NBA in scoring. It doesn't happen. And then in the meantime, you've got Jimmy Butler missing three weeks. You've got Goran Dragic, Bam, Tyler, everybody missing time, Avery Bradley, et cetera, and on and on and on. you got Myers Leonard out for the year, Mo Harkless being you know less than great. And it all kind of builds towards that West Coast road trip. And I talked about this in a recent episode of the Miami Heat Beat podcast when I was a, a guest on the show because I feel like it was the worst time for Heat Twitter and Heat fandom because you're staying up till one o'clock in the morning to watch them blow a game to you know the Warriors or, or the Clippers without four of their starters. It's kind of hard to rationalize that this team might be good. And, and so those were the bleakest moments, I feel, early on in the season. But I've also been pretty, again, consistent in saying that this roster might actually be better than last year's roster because you've addressed specific areas of need. You're getting some growth from Hero. You're getting Avery Bradley. You've got another year, unfortunately, on Goran Dragic and Jimmy Butler, but they seem to be as good as ever. Both of them played such a great game. Now, those games are going to be fewer and further in between because of their age. It's just, it's just a reality. But while you can still get performances like that, your chances of being a title contender are definitely increased. Now, you also have to make, I think, a trade or an acquisition. Maybe it's a you know a waiver wire. And I'll address this first and foremost. Boogie Cousins is not the answer. Like, I've been a fan of Boogie's on-court and off-court activity for some time. I it's just I think he's a, a fun, chaotic personality to have in the locker room. And maybe it wouldn't necessarily be uh, the best fit in Miami. But on the court, he is not that guy. You're going to see, look, for all the complaints you have of Kelly Olenek because he's white and seven feet tall and, and you know, looks like a, a reject from a, a Pearl Jam video, he is not as bad a defender as Boogie Cousins. He's, in fact, a lot better of a defender than Boogie Cousins. Boogie Cousins might be able to rebound more because he's just a, a natural big that's been playing the center position his whole life. But he's also completely immobile at this point in his career. Look at place guarding, quote-unquote, guarding players in Houston, and that's a player who just can't move anymore. That's no fault of his. It's It sucks that it's at, at this point. It's unfortunate that a player once as good as he has been reduced to this point where he cannot move well, and I think it's going to take another year of rehab, and hopefully he'll be able to bounce back. That he's not injured right now is one thing. That he's not explosive is a whole other issue. And so he probably needs to go see a trainer, probably David Alexander over at DBC Fitness, who can identify those specific areas that need improvement from him to tighten up a part of his body where maybe he's, I, I don't know, maybe he's just not working out the right way to develop a certain part of his body, and that's why he's getting all these lower leg injuries. Or maybe he's overcompensating because of lower leg injuries. Like I, You see it all the time. Because a player hurts his left knee, he winds up putting too much pressure on his right ankle and so on. I'm no doctor. I don't even play one on TV. But I don't think Boogie is the answer. He's not great defensively. He's not even particularly good offensively other than as a passer. Fantastic. We've got plenty of passing. Kelly's as good a passer, if not better. So that's he's not the upgrade we need. We need somebody who's more of a defensive presence who can switch onto multiple guards 
and guard one through five, basically. Like, I mean, no small task, right? There's not a lot of people that can do that effectively. Bam is one of them. Um, I don't know who you're going to find. Like, it might not be somebody that, that we're familiar with. Again, that, that kind of ties back to what I was saying about Crowder. Like, Crowder was not the player that we wanted to get. We didn't expect him to come in and have the kind of impact that he did, and yet he's the one that we're all missing. Now, I will say, as far as Miami's chances of being a legitimate title contender, I'm a firm believer. I thought that they addressed a lot of their needs. I thought there was going to get some significant improvement there in, in you know internally from Hero and others. You were going to get contributions from Okpala, who did wind up seeing the floor and provided some semblance of defense on occasion, but offensively he's he's still such a work in progress. And, and one of the things that, that I – why I believe in the Miami Heat is because they've shown that they can do this. Last year was not a fluke. Last year, this was a team that just believes in itself, that has an indomitable will, and understands that they are always one play, one big play away from stealing a game or finding a way to win it. They can shut you down when it's important. They can get that big score when it's important. Jimmy believes in himself, and everybody on this team has that same level of faith. It's so incredible to see the chemistry between Jimmy and and Goran, brothers for life. I firmly believe that they are there. I believe that they are a close friendship off the court that will continue forever. But you like seeing that relationship build with Bam as well. A guy who maybe we never really understood how much he believed in himself, but Jimmy has somehow able to get him to, to get even outside of that shell, you know, of confidence and, and become a, a maximized version of the player that he believed he could be. And, Miami's proven track record of success, I think, puts them ahead of other teams, even like the Utah Jazz and Milwaukee Bucks. And I know that's part, it's easy for us to say, you know, that a team needs to prove it on a big level. But they kind of do. Like, I, I understand the argument is somewhat reductive. Like, oh, you win 60 games during the regular season. How good are you really? Well, you need to kind of prove it. You need to prove it in a playoff situation. And that's what we're all talking about, right? I mean, do you want the Miami Heat to be a good regular season team? Or do you want them to be the team in the Orlando bubble? And I think most of you would probably argue you want the, the latter. And if you want the latter, well, you've got it. This is a team that still believes in itself, that can still compete. And I talked about this recently also on that Heat B podcast. There's not a team in the Eastern Conference that I'm particularly scared of. Maybe the Nets. The Sixers, fraught. The Bucks, fraught. I don't see any team in the East that's going to challenge Miami other than the Brooklyn Nets. And I still like our chances if you're able to make an addition. If you're able to get a quality defender that can limit what they do, if we can limit what Harden and Durant does, you're not going to stop them. You've got Bam for that. But you need somebody else to throw at them on occasion if Bam gets into foul trouble. And if that's the case, I like your chances. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a series for the ages. I also like the opportunity to meet up with the same Utah Jazz team in the NBA Finals if they advance because I think those games would be electric. They were really, really fun. Last night's game was amazing. So much to look forward to. We've got a two-game set against the Atlanta Hawks starting on Sunday, so make sure to stay tuned for the recap after that game. And then you wrap up the first half of the season with a game in New Orleans. So that should be a good one, too. If Miami somehow, if Miami somehow wins two of the next three games, they finish at 500. That's incredible, considering where they were earlier in the season. And so many fans had lost hope. It's always good. Never let go of the rope. Not with this team. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLOHeat. Be sure to please subscribe to the show and leave a review. 
I'm David Ramil signing off and thanking you as always for your support.